hardships, and through joys. And so far, to help make this happen, he's done some different things in the book of Hebrews. He shared some very big ideas about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done. He shared this really big idea of Jesus as our great high priest. He shared this massive idea of a new covenant coming and replacing the old. He's talked at length about Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for sins, the way no other sacrifice was before. But some in his congregation, and maybe some of us, we hear these big, profound theological ideas, and we say, look, all this stuff is great, and I want to be faithful, and all these things are important, and I understand them, and I believe them. But can't you just bring things down a little bit to my level. Can't you just give me some simple, practical steps, some simple, practical advice of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? If that's you, you're looking for those practical examples, then this sermon's for you. So with that, open to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If you don't have a chair Bible with you, feel free to use one of our chair Bibles. I just said if you don't have a chair Bible with you. You all have chair Bibles with you. They're right in front of you. So that's on page 865. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. But before we read Hebrews 10:19, let's pray together. Then we'll, then we'll get started. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for all the different things that we read. Uh, Sometimes we read passages that are big and awe-inspiring and even a little bit confusing, and we just step back and we don't even know how to take it all in. Uh, But at the same time, God, you also give us passages that kind of just cut to the chase, and sometimes that's what we need. And God, I pray this morning as we look at these examples of faithfulness, Uh, throughout history, really, throughout your word, Um, as we look at these practical steps of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus, I pray that we would have open ears, have open hearts, have open minds to what it is that you might have us take from this and what it is that we can take uh, this week and this month and and maybe even for the rest of our lives and put into practice um, so that you can grow us and shape us and develop us and just sustain us through the long haul. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day and this time. We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last, like last week, we're going to cover a big chunk of Scripture all at once, but my hope is that you're going to see one big, coherent idea in the midst of all of this. So let's start out by reading Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So starting out in these verses, the author sums up what he's been talking about 
really for the last six chapters of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 through chapter 10 are pretty much all about Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, what it is that he's done, who it is that he is, what he's better than, the things that he has replaced, the things that he has basically risen above. All this stuff about Jesus, all those big theological ideas. But then as we get to 1019, what he's saying seems to be something along the lines of, okay, now that you know all this stuff about Jesus, now that I've talked about it, now that I have beaten the dead horse of Jesus's greatness, here's what I want you to know now. And here's what it looks like to be faithful. Here's what it means for you to take all these ideas about Jesus's greatness and put them into practice. And be one of his faithful followers for years and years to come. Right after that, he jumps into these practical statements, starting with two words. And those two words are, let us. Not like lettuce on your salad, but let us. Now, there are seven of these let us statements in this passage that we're going to talk about today. But right now, we see three all jumbled together at the same time. The first one that we see in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is let us draw near to God. Now, first things first, after all that we've read about Jesus, we should know by now that it is only because of what Jesus did in his life, in his death and in his resurrection that we even have the privilege of drawing near to God in the first place. We are sinful and God is holy. We don't deserve a hearing with God. There's no reason that we should be able to draw near to God other than what Jesus has done. It is only because of what Jesus has done that the author of Hebrews can even hold this out as a possibility. That people like you and people like me could have the audacity to draw near into the presence of God. But not only can we just draw near, he specifically says we can draw near with cleansed hearts and washed bodies. Not just people who have performed some rituals and look pretty good on the outside and seem to have it all together and can keep up appearances. We draw near to God as people who have truly and profoundly and eternally been changed. Hearts have been transformed. Sins have been forgiven. And we are not the same people that we were before. And as a result, we draw near to God as cleansed people with clean hearts and sin forgiven and bodies washed. And we can do all of this stuff with full assurance of faith. Remember how we talked about approaching God's throne with confidence? We can draw near to God with confidence, full assurance of faith. But practically speaking, how do we draw near to God? Again, what does that look like where the rubber hits the road? Well, the most obvious example of drawing near to God would be prayer. Now, on the one hand, someone whose heart has been changed by God, someone who's been transformed by God's grace, should desire prayer. There should be a hunger for that, a longing to be in God's presence. But on the other hand, if you've been a Christian for long, most of us can agree that prayer can be very much a discipline. Prayer can be something that requires patience and practice, something that doesn't always come naturally the moment we become a follower of Jesus. But as we strive to be faithful, 
this drawing near to God with full assurance of faith, continually being in awe of the fact that we even have the option, that we are even able to draw near to God. Prayer is a good place to start with that. Now, the second let us statement in these verses is let us hold fast our confession. Now, if we're going to faithfully hold fast the confession of our hope, I'd like to suggest that it would be helpful if we know what our confession and what our hope actually is. Think about that. Again, practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, I'd suggest that study and meditation in Scripture are a good place to start there. Because too many Christians, if someone asked us what the gospel is, And what our confession is and what we place our hope in, too many of us wouldn't even really know how to answer. We can't hold fast our confession if we're not reminded of what our confession is. That we might share it with those around us. That we might look to the word of God to be reminded continually of where our hope is lies and what our confession is and why our hope is in the gospel and why we can draw near to God and why it is that we persevere through faith when sometimes it seems like it would be just so much easier to give in. It is absolutely essential that we look to the word of God as we strive to hold fast the confession of our hope. As we strive for faithfulness, a hunger for and a dependence on and a discipline of studying scripture is simply irreplaceable. And then we get to the third let us statement, and that's let us be in community. The author says that we're called to stir one another up, that we're called to even challenge each other to righteousness and holiness, that we hold each other accountable, that we spur each other on. He specifically mentions that we meet together regularly. And allow me to suggest there that meeting together regularly and being in community with fellow believers, that's not just being in the same room for an hour once a week. That's having true relationships and truly loving each other and truly being with one another through good times and through bad times. A ministry of presence, just being there in people's day-in and day-out lives. We're there so we can encourage each other regularly, is what the author says. You know, this past week, someone asked me, if life gets easier once you get baptized or once you become a follower of Jesus, and unfortunately, the answer to that question is no. Life doesn't just automatically get easier easier. Things don't instantly get better the moment that you get baptized, the moment that you place your faith in Christ. However, what we do find is a community to love us and a family to care for us and hands to reach down and pick us up when we fall. The author of Hebrews knows that faithfulness is never easy, especially in the face of hardships that are inevitable in the world that we live in. But faithfulness becomes much more bearable when we aren't trying to do it alone. When we don't kid ourselves into believing that we can be faithful followers of Jesus and fly solo. So let us be in community. Let us hold fast our confession. And let us draw near to God as faithful followers of Jesus. 
So as we move throughout the passage, 10, 26 through 31, we see another stern warning not to be like those who do not believe. We've seen a couple warnings so far. We specifically saw the warning of those in the Old Testament who were led to the promised land. They send the spies into the promised land and the spies come back and they're scared and they're intimidated. And so the people don't believe that God can actually lead them into this promised land. As a result, they're punished. Their disobedience exposes their lack of belief. And the author of Hebrews again warns these people, do not be like those who do not believe. Be faithful. And then we get to 10, 32 through 39, a very interesting passage for several different reasons. Let's start out by reading verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, And the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, it's an interesting passage for a couple different reasons. As he looks to motivate these people to faithfulness, as he recognizes that they have need of endurance, he does something interesting. He reminds them of the past. He gives us a glimpse of the persecution that we've been talking about that these believers have faced. They have dealt with public humiliation. They've dealt with public alienation. Some of them have even had property seized from them because of their faith. Those are the types of hardships and persecutions that most of us can't really relate to. We've never seen anything like that. But sometimes a practical help seems to be a glimpse of the persecution that you've been through before. A reminder of how God has been faithful in the past. A reminder of the hardships and the challenges that you didn't think you were going to get through at the time. And yet somehow, by the grace of God, you made it. God sustained you. God carried you through that. He reminds them that even though all their opponents humiliated and alienated and they might even have taken their stuff away... Those opponents could never take their salvation away. So the practical advice here might be that when you face a time when your faithfulness is being tested, when you don't know how much longer you can hold on, when you just feel weary and worn down, think back to when God has sustained you before. Think back to when God has been faithful before. In the midst of those hardships and challenges and struggles, he was faithful then. And in the midst of these hardships and challenges and struggles, he will be faithful now. 
So we've seen all this practical advice. Draw near to God and hold fast your confession and be in community and remember God's faithfulness in the past. But then we get into Hebrews chapter 11, one of the most arguably inspiring chapters in all of Scripture. One of those chapters that so many of us love, the kind that we put on our coffee cups and paint on our walls, that kind of stuff. But in Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 31, the author holds up some incredible examples of faithfulness from the Old Testament. Again, the same theme, faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. This time he holds up Abel, who offered a sacrifice pleasing to God. He mentions Abraham, who followed God where God told him to go, even though Abraham had no idea where he would be heading. He talks about Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He mentions names like Jacob and Joseph. He mentions Moses, who led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and across the Red Sea. He mentions even Rahab, the lowly prostitute who risked her life to hide Israelite spies because she had heard a little bit about this God that they worshipped. And then we get to Hebrews 11, 32 through 40, a passage I'm going to read because I just can't do it justice trying to summarize it. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So the author holds these heroes of old up to his congregation. The who's who list of Old Testament faithful heroes. And he holds them up to them. He holds them up to you and he holds them up to me. And he simply says, look at these people. Persevere. Be strong. But you know how they all did it? By faith. And in the Old Testament, these people faithfully obeyed God, even though they didn't know anything about Jesus the way you and I do. But because of what Jesus has done, because he was faithful, because he was righteous, because he persevered, even to the point of crucifixion, even to the point of a cross with his name on it. Because he was faithful, you and I can be faithful. Because he persevered, you and I can persevere. That means those people of old who were faithful to God and yet didn't even fully understand how God could possibly redeem them. Those people, and you and I, who look to Jesus... 
We can persevere. And we can be saved by faith. We get to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, continuing the theme. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we move to chapter 12, we get back to those practical statements of faithfulness, those let us statements. The one we see here is let us flee from sin. The author puts sin right alongside the word wait. Now, Olivia and I have been trying to work out more, trying to be a little bit more healthy. And so one of the things that we bought is we bought ankle weights. She uses them sometimes to work out her legs. Sometimes I use them even. I tried them on once. I didn't like them very much. But I've been running, but I haven't had the courage to put on the ankle weights and run at the same time. That scares me. I know some people do it. Some people have special shoes just for that, but I don't know if I can handle that. But I do know, and I'm really kind of suspicious, that if I put those ankle weights on and then went running the way I normally go, that run would be a whole lot more difficult with that extra weight on my ankles. In the same way, the author of Hebrews seems to argue that willfully entertaining sin while striving for faithfulness is the equivalent of trying to run a marathon with a ball and chain tied around your ankle. If we hope to be faithful followers of Jesus, may we be absolutely malicious in not entertaining sin. In not offering safe harbor for sin in our hearts, in our minds, and in our bodies. May we be faithful in fleeing from sin, the weight that holds us down. And then he says, let us run with endurance. He tells us to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on who Jesus is and what he's done. That's been what so much of the book of Hebrews has been all about. And I've often heard that when people run in an organized race... You're near the end, and you don't know how much longer you can go. You don't know if you can take another step, but then you see that finish line. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself with a little bit more energy than you thought you had. I pray that every single one of us, in those moments of life where we don't know how much longer we can hold on, we are worn down, and we don't feel like we can take another step as followers of Jesus. I pray that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. And that we would find strength through the spirit that we don't have in and of ourselves. That he would strengthen us to keep walking and keep running and keep enduring. Because we have our eyes on Jesus who endured and persevered for us. As we close out chapter 12, we see verses 3 through 17 talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross, more details about what he endured for your sin and for my sin, his body broken and his blood shed. The author suggests that we embrace our hardships at times as a form of discipline from God, not the kind of discipline that's punishment, not the kind of discipline that's just purely suffering for suffering's sake, but maybe the kind of discipline that can be for our good 
and for his glory. And that even those times of hardship can produce holiness and righteousness. We read Hebrews 12, 18 through 27, another stern warning about what happens to those who do not believe. How God is absolutely 100% just in judging those who do not believe. But alongside that stern warning, that intimidating warning in these verses, we see an even stronger encouragement for those who do believe. And the encouragement is this. We have an unshakable kingdom from God. We read about that in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, closing out the passage. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The final two let us statements. Let us be grateful for this unshakable kingdom. In those times of life where our faith seems so unstable and so shaken and so unsteady, sometimes all we look to is the fact that God's kingdom is never unsteady, is never shaken, is never unstable. We have a promise from God and an inheritance from God that will not fail, even when we don't know how much longer we can hold on, because we are heirs of an unshakable kingdom. And the final let us statement is let us worship. He says, let us offer acceptable worship, the kind of worship marked by reverence and awe of the power and the glory of God. He describes God as an unquenchable fire. And on the one hand, if you look at an unquenchable fire, you kind of sit back and you're in awe of how beautiful it is. But you're also a little bit intimidated by how, even though it's beautiful, I can't possibly contain that fire. I can't possibly fence that kind of fire in. We often look at God the same way. So beautiful and so loving and so patient and so gracious. And yet also so far beyond our control. So as we look to be faithful followers of Jesus, we've taken in a lot of practical ideas in this passage. We've seen the idea of drawing near to God with the full assurance of faith, holding fast our confession, being in community, remembering God's faithfulness to us in the past and remembering God's faithfulness to those who came before us. We've seen the admonishment to let us flee from sin, the encouragement to run our race with endurance, the challenge to let us be grateful for an unshakable kingdom and the teaching that we would worship. And why would we do these things? All these things in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the hardships, the people in Hebrews might be tempted to say, you know what, author, it's really easy for you to tell us these things when we're the ones having our property seized and we're the ones being humiliated and we're the ones being alienated for our faith. Why would you tell us to do these things? Why would you tell us to subject ourselves to that over and over again? And how in the world, what makes you think that we can be faithful? What makes you think that we can persevere? And the author of Hebrews, I imagine, would say, because of everything Jesus has done, because of everything I just taught you, In Hebrews 4 through 10, 
Because Jesus is your great high priest. Because Jesus is your perfect sacrifice. And because the God who saved you is the God of an unshakable kingdom. And when you don't think that you can persevere, when you don't think that you can be faithful, look back at those things. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And run your race with endurance. Let's pray. Father, we've been talking about faithfulness for several weeks now. We've talked about it from different angles. We've talked about it in different scenarios. We've talked about it in all kinds of different ways. We've talked about what it means for us to be faithful. We've talked about Jesus' faithfulness, going to the cross on our behalf, atoning for our sin and, and taking the punishment that we deserve. We've talked about God's faithfulness of old and God's faithfulness now and, and God's faithfulness in the future. And God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that we would leave here not just having read a passage of Scripture, not just having sat here and and listened to a sermon, but God, we would leave here truly changed. That we'd leave here challenged and inspired and, and lifted up to persevere. God, some of us are going through incredible hardship at this very moment. Some of us are just coming out of incredible hardship and things are finally starting to look better And some of us don't even know it yet, but we could be going right into a time of hardship. And God, at different times and in different ways, every single person in this room who follows you, we will have our faithfulness tested. We will be tempted to give in. We will believe that we can't go another step. And yet, God, I pray that in those moments, in those times, we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we would draw near to you with full assurance of faith, that we would trust our great high priest through it all, and that we would remember that we are heirs and we are members of an unshakable kingdom. God, we love you. We praise you. Let us offer worship that is acceptable to you right now with reverence and awe as we leave this morning. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, I pray that you would make that decision this morning. Our elders will be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer questions, happy to talk with you, happy to pray with you, happy to just simply walk with you through that time that you may be facing right now of hardship. Maybe you have a challenge, you have a struggle that you've been just putting on yourself. You haven't wanted to share it with people. I pray that you would... Take advantage of the leaders here who want to be here with you, want to walk through that with you, want to pray for you. We don't have to go through these challenges alone. And I pray that if you haven't made that decision yet to be a faithful follower of Jesus, ask those questions, talk to those elders, be open and honest. And I pray that you would leave here this morning as a faithful follower of Jesus.